0: Well this morning we're going to continue in God's word to track through the book of 1 Corinthians. And I want you to turn with me to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter and I hope you're excited this morning uh, to be a part of God's Word, to let it speak to you. I just want to encourage you that if you have missed any of the weeks along the way, you can get online and get right up to speed. You can be following along with us in your own Bible reading. Um, there, If you're interested in reinforcement, saying, boy, I love what's happening Sunday mornings, but I could use more, uh, at least for the guys, on Tuesday morning, Bob, uh, and, uh, Bob Boss and a few other the so guys, they meet on Tuesday mornings in the bulletin, and they are actually going through 1 Corinthians alongside of us from these Sunday mornings, and so there's some reinforcement there. And then I just want to encourage you, I encourage you along the way, is to take notes along the way. Um, As you are listening, uh, you know, bring your Bible, of course, so you can kind of follow along. You can take notes in in the margins, or bring a notepad with you, and then you can go back to those things for reinforcement, because we know that the more we saturate ourselves in the Word of God, the more benefit it's going to be for us. Isn't that true? When we can get our minds around what God's Word says, and let it fill us up, and it kind of renews our mind, I think the Bible says, right? We've been talking about that in Connect 301 on Sunday nights, and it's just an important thing for each and every one of us to do. So... I want to encourage you along that. We're going to get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3 in just a second, but I've got some news uh, that is pretty important. Some of you have heard about this. uh, Some of you, uh, this will be the first time you've heard. uh, But I have got an opportunity in the next couple weeks to go to Africa. And this came about, uh, I've been sharing at the missions meetings and I think last year in preaching a couple different times, um, I have felt like God had been calling me to go to Africa And about maybe 18 months ago, that really started to stir in my heart. Uh, I kind of describe it like this. When Paul, he had a heart to return to Rome. Uh, He was jealous to get to Rome, it says in Acts. And uh, that's kind of how I felt. Like, I I can't even hardly explain it, but I just have felt like God has been leading me to go to Africa. Well, last year, I thought for sure it was going to work out. I had a couple opportunities. Uh, We looked at pretty seriously for me to get away. And uh, those doors closed closed And uh, it was interesting a, a few weeks ago when Alexandria Wigan uh, she came into my office and was sharing about her trip to Africa that she pulled the trigger she was going to be gone to Africa for three months. I told her it was a Thursday. I said, I said, Alexandria, I am so excited for you, and I still feel like God has got a plan for me in Africa uh, at some point. And I said that on a Thursday. The very next day. The district from Michigan District Assemblies God calls and says, Hey, we've got a trip, a small group of pastors going March 9th. Would you consider going? We just had someone back out. And I'm like, whoa! And I said, well, what's the scope? And uh, they're going to be doing some pastor training there, and um, they're going to be working with uh, pastors coming in from out of in the bush where they're planting churches uh, by by the tens and and really by the fifties and hundreds, uh, planting these churches. They're going to be coming in for training. And I said, boy, uh, that really fits uh, something that I believe that God may be calling me to do. And so the, the litmus test, you know, I mean, you can have a good idea. You know what I'm saying, guys? You know, but if, if you're married and your spouse doesn't think it's a good idea, then you got to pray more, right? <laughs> well, what happened? I called Jessica and uh, she's not here this morning. She'll be here second service. And uh, she could confirm this. And almost immediately she's like, Ben, this is it. You've got to go. And I was like, okay. And so I call up my uh, in-laws because we're going to have to have some help with the kids. And uh, they're like, yeah, we'll be there. We'll come and stay for two weeks with Jessica. And, uh, and, so, and then I call my parents and uh, say, uh, mom and dad, what do you think? Just, you know, we're praying about this. And they're like, Ben, you've got to go. And many of you know my parents are missionaries. And so they're, I mean, they're going to be encouraging anyway. But my dad says, is there room for one more? And my dad is going with me. And this is exciting. My dad and I, we've been on mission trips together over the past, but we've never uh, co-taught in any fashion. And uh, at least one of the sessions that we'll be doing, my dad and I will be t- teaching together. And uh, what a joy. I mean, it's just going to be exciting. And so I want to share that with you so you can be praying for the logistics, for all the things to come together. There for that. Um, but I also am sharing that because with that, going to Africa, how many know that immunization is pretty important? There are diseases that the health department might, wants to make sure that I'm aware of before I go to Africa. And uh, it's interesting, they are dead serious about this. I mean, it's not when you're on the phone, it's not like, hey, how you doing? And, uh, you know, like shooting the breeze. I mean, at least the, uh, the couple of people that I've talked to, they are dead on and they are high, um, uh, high risk uh, places like Africa. They take very seriously because, um, because there are some dangers in traveling overseas, especially to places like Africa. Um, one thing um, where we're going is Kenya, by the way. We'll be flying into Nairobi. Nairobi does not require, right now, a yellow fever shot, which is a, a, a disease that actually, if you get yellow fever, 30% of the people that get it die. And, uh, but anyway, going into Africa, into Kenya right now is not a yellow fever. You don't have to have your yellow fever shot. And so I'm thinking to myself, okay, that's an expensive shot. Uh, it's like just for one shot, like $127. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm not going to have to do that. Well, the second call I make, they're like, no you are going to get this shot. <laughs> and uh, because if something goes wrong with your flight, you touch down in another country, you just never know. They said it's the best $127 you'll spend, uh, insurance. And I appreciate that. Someone just said, that's right. <laughs> and, uh, and Jessica Jessica's like, yes, you're getting the yellow fever shot. And uh, but one of the risks there is malaria and it's a pretty serious risk and a million people or more every single year die from malaria now i'm not trying to scare you you know just you know think oh pastor you shouldn't go uh 500 million people are affected every single year with that and so i was looking some statistics up and depending on where you look Some people believe malaria is the number one deadliest disease in history. And it's contracted through little mosquitoes. If you get bit, and uh, about 14 to 15 days later, you'll feel the effects. And uh, and again, a million people die, and I was thinking, wow. But as I was looking at these different diseases and uh, looking, I I looked up some different things online: the top ten deadliest diseases in history, (laughs) the top seven, the top twenty-five, and there are diseases I'd never heard of, uh, like cholera or Ebola, uh, tuberculosis. I had heard of the Black Plague, the Spanish Flu. I'd never heard of that. uh, The bubonic plague, smallpox. And what's interesting, out of several of these lists of uh, the deadliest diseases in history, out of all three lists that I looked at, cancer and AIDS, which are deadly diseases that we are facing in our culture today, that we are well aware of, they're not even considered some of the deadliest. And I'm thinking, wow, isn't that interesting? And and you're thinking, why are you talking about all this? Well, I was thinking about it this week as I was studying that within the church, there is a deadly disease that can wipe out an entire church. Some have become permanently disabled because of it. Anyone want to take a shot at what that disease is? Sin, for sure. <laughs> but division. Division. Few things are more deadly or debilitating than Division. It will stunt a church's growth. It limits the Holy Spirit's ability to work, and it can even kill a local body of believers. And what's interesting is that Paul understood this. When he's writing to the Corinthian church, he knew that there were factions or divisions within the church. And so today, as we look at chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, we're going to see Paul playing the doctor role. And uh, what's interesting, Paul, as he's writing to the Corinth church, he's saying, look, look at things through godly wisdom, not human understanding. And that's kind of where we've been. But today, he's going to talk about division, and he's going to talk about the cause of division. What causes it? Number two, he's going to say, what what are the symptoms that are surrounded by division? But then we're going to get to what is the cure for division? And that's where we're headed today. I want you to turn. You should be there. I want you to stand with me. and We're going to honor God's word. We're going to read God's word. And I want you to follow along with me. I want to encourage you to be looking at a, uh, at a copy of God's Word. I want to encourage you to bring a pen. Like we've been saying, you may be circling some things, writing some things in the, in the um, uh, sides of your Bible. That would be awesome so you can go back and continue to grow. But listen to what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk not solid food for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, you are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere men? For when one says I follow Paul and another says I follow Apollos, are you not mere men? What after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. So neither he who plants nor... He who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The man who plants and the man who waters have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And everyone said, Amen. Lord, I just pray that as we track through your word this morning, God, that it would speak loud and clear. And God, I pray that even though some of these words are difficult to hear or to read or to try to apply to our lives, God, that today that we would grasp what what your Holy Spirit is saying to each of us. Lord, we thank you for this in advance, and we thank you and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. You can be seated this morning. Amen. The first thing we're going to see here is Paul, as he's playing the doctor role, he describes the cause of division. How do divisions get started in a church, in a home, in a business? How do they begin? Well, we get some insight into it in verse number one of chapter three. First of all, he says brothers. He's addressing the Corinthian church. He is addressing fellow believers. He's talking to Christians. And I think we'll see that that's an important distinction here. So he says brothers, fellow believers. He says, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. That word spiritual there in the Greek is pneumaticus. And what it means is not only spiritual in the sense like you know, that there's like something mystical about you, although that can certainly mean that, but it also, and I believe the primary thing that we can see here, is it means being controlled by the Spirit. This is not a salvation issue. He's not saying, brothers who are in Christ, I could not address you because you are, spirit, are not spiritual but worldly. He's not saying that they hadn't received Christ. No, at salvation, you get the Holy Spirit. Amen? Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We get all of God at salvation. But the question is, is will you allow the Holy Spirit to control you? To correct you? To lead you? Or will you do it on your own? To give your life to Christ, then just go on living your human desires and living by your own human thinking. Being controlled by the Spirit. And so he's talking to brothers here, to Christ followers, but they are not being controlled by the Spirit. We see that. By the way, It's just interesting to think about it. You could be in the church, even here this morning, you could be, but still be driven by the world as if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus. Isn't that the truth? I've seen people. In fact, turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. Interesting set of scriptures here. Uh, They kind of splattered living by the Spirit. But look what it says in Galatians 5, 16. There's this tension, this struggle. Are we going to live by the Spirit of God or by human desire? Look what it says. He says, this is Paul writing to the Galatian church. He says, so I say, live by the Spirit. Be controlled by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. You could be saved, but a remnant of the world is still inside your heart. In other words, you can be saved, you can be a believer, a Christ follower, but still have sinful desires. You could still do sinful stuff. Am I right? Maybe I'm the only one. I don't know. I mean, (laughs) you know, you give your heart to the Lord. And for some, this is a shock. They say, boy, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus and think everything's going to be different. And certainly things do change, but we still wrestle within ourselves and in paul paul as he's writing to the galatians chapter 5 he's saying live by the spirit let the spirit control you look at verse 25 that same chapter there he says since we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit why would we do that verse 17 for the sinful nature desires what is contrary to the spirit And the Spirit, what is contrary to the sinful nature? They are in conflict with each other, so that you do not know, or that you do not do what you want. Has anyone been there? Maybe this week, maybe this morning. There's a sinful desire, but then there's this part that you know what God may be saying as well. There's two natures, the Spirit and the flesh and what's interesting when we're talking in context here back in first corinthians we know that the issue there that they're dealing with is division well what kind of things of the spirit or the fleshly nature what those things are what cause division look at it it says the acts of the sinful nature are obvious sexual immorality impurity and debauchery idolatry and witchcraft hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So the acts of the sinful nature are pretty clear. He lays it out right there in Galatians for us. And what I want you to know, that is, when we live like that, And we're all susceptible to areas that are listed right there, right? What happens is division is much more likely. But, in verse 22, says, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. If we are walking in the Spirit, If we have the fruit of the Spirit alive and well in our lives, I believe that none of these things will cause division or factions within a body of people. So as believers, we must not walk by the flesh, but instead we must walk in the Spirit of God. And the more we walk in the Spirit the more spiritual we become. Now, I know I need to be careful here when we talk about being spiritual, that there's different levels or different ranks, and that's not what I'm talking about. But let me ask you a question. In if, if I were to just ask that everyone would just rate themselves between a 1 and a 10, 1 is being, you know, close to Satan, you know, number 10 is being close to God, okay? All right, uh, how spiritual are, are you now don't answer out loud please you know, we're not we're not going to take you know you know don't raise your hand and we're not going to call on anybody but how spiritual are you how much do you walk by the spirit and i'm not talking being super spiritual or fake okay and we've all had a measure of that we've seen that maybe in the church But how many would just, you can raise your hand for this. How many would acknowledge that it's hard to measure our spiritual walk at times, right? Yeah, it's tough. You look at that question, you're saying, oh, how spiritual am I? Hmm, I'm not sure. Well, let me ask you another question. How worldly are you? In other words, how much do you walk like or look like the world? Maybe that's a little easier to answer. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's still hard. But how much are you doing your own thing? Well, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1, where we are, Paul is saying, look, I wanted to address you as spiritual, but I could not. I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly. Mere infants in Christ. See, the Corinthian church, they were worldly. They were thinking and acting like they had never met Christ. They were thinking and acting like people who were not living by the Spirit. And at best, Paul describes them as mere infants in Christ. Opposite of the maturity that we've looked at the last couple weeks in chapter 2, verse 6 and 10 and Uh, In verse 15, were they saved? Yes. Were they in the church and involved in the church? Yes. But were they mature? No, they were not mature. Just because you're a Christian does not mean that you will act or think like a Christian. And it's tragic. There are Christians that do not act like it. Maybe you know someone, or maybe that's even your story. And for the Corinthians, that was their, their story. They were mere infants. And I was thinking about it this week. Boy, you know, you look at, um, you know, babies and, uh, you know, little infants. Last week, there was a brand new baby, one week old that was here, little Teagan uh, Tidswell. A uh, little cute baby. I gave him you know, a little big, you know, a little kiss on the head. And I mean, it, it's, it's, I love babies. They're sweet. But you know what? Babies, they grow up and by age 20 or by age 40, you know, it would be tragic, wouldn't it? if that baby never developed fully i my aunt nancy was um uh, what what we called uh, retarded. I'm not sure what the te- what the better term is these days. What's more technically correct? But she lived out in San Diego, and when we'd make trips out to San Diego, it was my mom's sister. We would go visit Aunt Nancy, and she was in her 30s back when I first you know got to know her, uh, or maybe in her late 20s. I'm not sure. And then now, and then she just passed away two years ago, and she was about 50 something. And uh, and we would go, and we but all every time we visited her her mental capability was at the age of 4 it never progressed and it's tragic and she would throw fits uh she uh she couldn't you know handle her own money she couldn't really reason well and and she would we would be in the car, and she'd grab my hand and uh and I mean i'm a little kid, you know I'm like you know seven, eight, nine years old and she, and this is embarrassing but but she would take my hand and just rub it on her boob <laughs> and I'd look at my parents and they're like it's okay I'm like, this is not okay <laughs> but she's a four year old in her mind but it would be tragic if she That was not in my notes. I don't know why I just said that. <laughs> but listen, the Corinthian church was at least five years old at that point. Many of the believers were at least five years in Christ. Many of them had been saved under Peter's ministry and no doubt some of them even sat under the ministry of Jesus. But they were still infants they never progressed in their spiritual walk they were like little toddlers it was funny this week as i was studying uh, one of my friends that preached this uh, jonathan decou he found a a a a sampling he said this is the toddler's rules of ownership and sharing listen to this this is kind of funny if you think like an infant this is what you're going to think like that number one if i like it it's mine If it's in my hands, it's mine. If I can take it from you, it's mine. If I had it for a little while ago, it's mine, right? It continues. If it's mine, it must never appear to be yours in any way. (laughs) If I'm doing or building something, all the pieces are mine, right? as an infant if you if it looks like uh, let me see if it looks just like mine it's mine if i saw it first it's mine if you're playing with something and you put it down it automatically becomes mine if it's broken it's yours but if it's broken but you are having fun with the pieces still it's mine again if there's any doubt it's mine that's how a, a child thinks isn't it that's what an infant be- would believe. And even though that's fun, and it's fun to look at, it's sad, and it's true that within the church, there are people that give their heart to the Lord, and they are never controlled by the Spirit. They never relinquish control. And it's a simple truth. Let's continue in verse number three. Look what it says. All right, so let's read number one again. Brothers, I could not address you as spiritual, but as worldly mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you are still not ready for it. He's describing the American church. The American church, the average believer... Wants a quick, pictographic-type message, short. You don't wanna, the, the American church doesn't want to think. They just want to feel good. Many churches, they give people only milk. And when I say milk, it's more popular. It's easy to understand. But many churches never get to the solid thing, solid food, the meat of God's Word. And the result is we have a bunch of American Christians, American believers that are spiritually weak. They've got a bone disease inside. They're frail. They're weak. And because they are, or maybe we are, spiritually weak, it causes divisions in the church. Instead of thinking like the Spirit they do whatever they want and ultimately church if if the church uh, a, if a church would only provides milk or emotionalism or it's a milk environment there will inevitably be division there what's at the root of that with the division it's that people are not thinking like Christ they're being led by the spirit and that's where we come to the second thing. Not only what, what is happening, the cause, right? But the, what are the symptoms of division? And we see that in verse number three. It says, you are still worldly. Let's just pause there for a second. This is a church that Paul loved. These are people that he cared for deeply, that he invested much of his time. And as hard as it is to read today imagine getting this letter from Paul and they would not have a copy of God's Word so someone would be reading this letter to the church. Can you imagine them hearing it for the first time? How painful it would be for them, for Paul, who they respected, for him to be saying, you are still worldly. Isn't that crazy to think of? But I think we could say the same thing in many many ways I, as your pastor i could say you know what we are worldly in many many ways but listen to what he says for you are still worldly for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you are you not worldly are you not acting like mere men He says they're still worldly, and it's seen through jealousy, which is the attitude, which is a heart condition. It's seen through quarreling, that there was action taken. They were arguing. In this particular circumstance, they were not uh, arguing about doctrine. In context, they they were discussing the style of ministry. They were arguing, and today there is all kinds of ridiculous stuff that can be argued about in preferring different styles or different programs. is certainly one of those things, one of those areas. But for Corinth, they were arguing specifically over the style of the leader, of the preacher. Let's look at verse number 4. They were acting like non-believers. Listen to what it says. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another says, I follow Apollos, are you not mere men we've talked about this in the last several weeks that apollos was a fine preacher one of the finest there was he was articulate he was dynamic he was eloquent paul on the other on the other side he was certainly learned he was deep he grasps the word of the Old Testament. When he, when he gave his heart to the Lord, when he had that experience on the Damascus Road, the blinders came off, and he was able to discern Old Testament prophecy and all these things. But he was hard to listen to. He, he acknowledges later in 1 Corinthians, we have looked at that. In fact, some would say they were lucky if they got a letter from Paul, but man, if they had to sit under his teaching, I'm oh, boring, right? So they're saying... Some of you say, oh, I follow Paul. Some say, I follow Apollos. Today, some of us prefer one pastor over another. Maybe you've got your own favorite radio program, preacher, or TV show. And that's okay. But then within the church, you may prefer one teacher or one child care provider over another. Or one greeter. You prefer when, when someone is greeting that you know Right? Or maybe a certain worship leader is, is uh, leading and maybe someone else fills in. It's like, and you know what? This is petty. It's not spiritual. Right. Let me just say over the next several weeks, I want you to be faithful in attendance. We're going to continue through 1 Corinthians even when I'm away in Africa. There will be different speakers, different worship leaders, Right? And you say, well, is there a problem here? There's not, thankfully. This is more preventative, but it is important for us to recognize and to, re- to see that there are causes of division that we need to be aware of. There are symptoms of division that we need to be mindful of, but there's also a cure. Let's look at chapter 3, verse number 5. Listen to what it says. It says what after all is Apollos and what is Paul. He's saying look, you're divided. Your human thinking has messed up. He's saying look to the spirit. He's saying look, Apollos is nothing. Paul is nothing. You could put my name in there, Ben Vay is nothing. Or Pastor Pete, Peter Benson, is nothing. You could take any ministry, any person that serves here at the Gateway Church, and you can say, they are nothing. The issue is the Lord's. He says that they're only... So, what after all is Apollos? What after all is Paul? Only servants. That word there is uh, diocony, the same word that we get the word deacon, or if you want to put it in practical terms, a busboy or a waiter. If you've been tracking with us on Wednesday nights, many of you have been a part of bio, it's the napkin, not the cup. And some of you know what I'm talking about. We are certainly not the coffee, right? I, I thought of this illustration this week that if you went out to eat, Right? you went to the hearthstone for example which i did this week it was awesome for lunch and uh you know man i had the i had a great great cup a bowl of soup it was incredible but i didn't make compliments to the busboy or to the server right i was saying man whoever cooked this whoever put this together it was phenomenal the server had nothing to do with my meal. They brought it to me. I mean, they were pleasant and they were nice. And, and I'm not knocking servers. I used to be a DRA. Does anyone know what that is? I didn't think so, but they it was like a glorified busboy. <laughs> it was a dining room attendant. I, got, I cut my teeth in serving people uh, by serving at the Guest Quarter Suite Hotel in Troy, Michigan, all right? And I would serve, and I, what that meant is I brought the water, and I cleared the table, and I... I was pretty much a busboy, but they call us dining room attendants. But you know what? What's interesting? It says here, it says, what are we, mere servants? Though whom you came to believe as the Lord has assigned each his task. And that was the point. Each one had a task. Paul planted, verse 6 says, right? I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God made it grow. Paul planted, he started the church, in other words. Apollos, he came in, he watered it, he pastored the church. But God was the one that made it grow. By the way, that's a great mindset. That verse is used a lot. For witnessing. Have you ever heard that in that context? You know, some water, some plant, but God makes it grow. But the primary context here is not talking about witnessing, although you certainly could use it in that way. The context here is talking about division and personalities. And we see that continued in verse number seven. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow church we are nothing you are nothing (laughs) and I got my notes here don't you feel good (laughs) let's just pray and go home right now right you are nothing (laughs) bye-bye the point is it's not in the messenger it's not it's in the power of the Holy Spirit it's God at work say, isn't there room for people to be a part? Yes, God uses people. Look at verse 8. The man who plants and the man who waters, they have one purpose, and each will be rewarded according to his own labor. I was thinking about it this week. Think of all the volunteers that it takes to get ready and to have Sunday morning church here at the Gateway Church. The worship team that Brennan's been leading, and all the different instruments, and they practice on Thursday or Saturday mornings, and they're, they're getting sharp, and then they come early on Sunday mornings. On Sunday mornings, about a quarter till eight, our greeters show up, and they start to prepare coffee, and they shovel, or they plow the parking lot when our plowing guys don't come like today. <laughs> But they're doing that. Then there's ushers, and then, then there's people that count the offering. And then there's nursery, and preschool workers, and elementary workers, all serving, all preparing, all doing this. Then you look at what's happened in the week prior, the office work, the bulletins, the flyers, the stuff online. And then I get to come, and I get to stand before you and preach and think that it's all about me? Yeah. I, that'd be foolish. Foolish. It'd be ridiculous. We are all nothing, right? But we have one purpose. Unity. To be faithful, to grow in Christ. And what's awesome is that the nursery workers are equal to me. Those that count the offering are equal. Each of the worship members here, there's none that are greater than the other. Isn't that awesome? And to compare is ridiculous and, I believe, even sinful. It is acting like the world. By the way, what I love in the body of Christ is that we're not the same. There's quite a bit of diversity. Isn't that great? And what's awesome is I was thinking, just dreaming and believing God that He's going to continue to grow us as a ministry, that there will be diversity all along the way as ministry matures at the gateway church there may be diversity but there also must be great unity that on every position every worker every volunteer that we have the same mission that we have the same vision That you guys are aligned, that we are aligned together and there's unity and there's power that comes with that. And so whether you're making coffee in the morning or you're standing in the pulpit preaching, that we're headed in the same direction. Because listen what verse 9 says, it describes that we are on God's team. Let's look at it. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. We are on God's team. And where God is blessing, we know that Satan would love to bring division. He would love to make us compare, say, oh, I like this worship leader better than this one, or bring human thinking into our children's ministry or in any of those areas. But what Paul is saying, look, we... Our God's building. He's talking to the church. He's saying, "You are the church. You're built on God. Everything belongs to God. We are just servants. We're just D.R.A.s. We're just dining room attendants. We are the bus boys. We are the ones working hard. And the good news is, one of my friends said this this week: that when a church is unified." when a church demonstrates the humility of our Lord, when a church is all about service and sacrifice, it allows itself to make a significant contribution to the growth and increase of God's kingdom. That's what we get to be a part of. Amen? Now, I am honored to serve you as a pastor at the Gateway Church but I just want you to know I had a revelation this week. I am not, I'm sorry, you are not my people. I do not own any of you. You belong to Jesus. He's the one that's bought you. He's the one that directs you. You are his, amen? And let me say this. This is not my church. This is not your church. It's not even our church. It is God's church. So let's not mess it up with stupid human thinking, thoughts and actions that would cause division. What our challenge is today is for us to act in unity and for us to become more spiritual. Back to verse number 1 pneumaticus to be controlled by the spirit not to be caught up with personalities in all the different areas of the church no not to put one above another and say oh i prefer apollos over paul or i prefer you know this person over this person no because with a proper spiritual view god gives increase that's the truth he gets all the glory we can boast in him we can boast in the cross and if we love god if we become mature the result is that we will be safeguarded from division within the gateway church that's the truth and that's my heart for each and every one of us. Brenda, I want you to come this morning. As we bring this to a close, I know there's a couple application pieces that that are potential. But before we get to the application of the text here, as I've been preaching, and even though this is really not a salvation-oriented message, um, if you are here this morning, if you've not uh, surrendered your life to Jesus, or maybe you're away from God, and maybe you're just coming back, I want to pray for you. Um, Salvation is offered this morning uh, at the foot of the cross at what Jesus has provided through His sacrifice. He loves you very much. He thinks the world of you. God, in His amazing grace, He sent His Son to die for you. And if you've not received that truth, if you've not received that, uh, that belief, if you don't understand that completely and maybe the the blinders are coming off and you're saying, boy, I've got a serious need. My sin is going to cause me to spend an eternity in hell. That's what the Bible describes. This morning, I want to offer salvation. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and you're saying, boy, I, I need to get my heart right with God, would you just slip up your hand right where you are? Just to boldly, just saying, boy, that's where I am today. Is there anyone here that's saying, boy, I'm away from God? I need Jesus as my Savior. Anyone at all? Just looking across. Anyone at all? Say, that's where I am today. Okay. All right. Put your eyes back on me for a second. In this text, it's really talking about division regarding personalities. That's the primary. And I was thinking about it. Boy, there are families that do not have unity within their home structure. Or there may be situations that you're involved in where there is not unity within your work environment or your school environment. Or there might be strife or, or pain in, in different areas of your life. But I believe as we grow in the Lord that we can be agents of unity and where there's division that we can bring healing. And I just want to challenge you to see yourself in that light. No matter where you go, no matter what your, your, you know, what your story is, that you can be God's hands and feet to make a difference, to bring unity. Unity's huge. And we're going to protect unity here at the Gateway Church. We're going to stand up for one another and we're going we're to be committed to one another uh, in, in unity. That's for sure. But how many just just with a raise of a hand saying, boy, That really speaks that you are in a situation where there may be disunity and God may be able to use you. Just slip up your hand. I'm not going to pull you out or anything. Yeah, sure. Yeah, just like I suspected several individuals saying, boy, I need to be that person that can bring that with God's help. And what we need, church, is we need to be controlled by the Spirit to allow the Spirit of God to be in more control than our flesh. Right? And I know that that's a difficult thing to... to, uh, It's easy to say, but it's, it's more difficult to live out. I struggle just like anyone else in different areas of my life where the flesh gets control more than the Spirit. But if you were to ask yourself this morning, how spiritual are you on a scale of 1 to 10? Let's say you put yourself at a 5. I don't know. You're saying, oh, I'm doing okay. Is there a desire in your heart to be a 6 or 7 or 8? Or are you content to be where you are? See, what happened in the Corinth church is they gave their hearts to the Lord. They understood some basic things, some milk, Right? but they never grew beyond that. They never allowed the spirit of God to control them. And my danger or my my concern is that that we are in danger ourselves that we can find ourselves in a place where we've done the basics but then we never go any deeper. We never go any further. As I was praying this week and even this morning my hunch is that that probably describes more of us than we'd like to admit. But I want to pray. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. We're going to ask God to challenge us to make a significant difference this week in our lives. I'm going to ask that you close your eyes and bow your heads. This is just between you and God. No one looking around. How many this morning would say, Pastor, that's where I am. The flesh gets more than the Spirit in my life. If you just be honest, lift lift your hands. Or maybe it's even, and you're saying, boy, uh, this morning, if you desire for more of the Spirit, to be controlled by the Spirit, to let the, the Spirit of God lead you and guide you, if that's your heart, would you just pray this prayer with me? Say, dear Heavenly Father, I acknowledge this morning that the flesh has some control over my life. But Lord, today, I surrender. I give you complete control. Lead me and guide me by your Holy Spirit. that and you meant that. That means that today, this afternoon, there should be a change in the way you respond to your kids, or a change in the way you respond at home with your spouse. Or there should be a change this week at work, because we are asking the Lord for His Spirit to control us, to give the Spirit priority over our flesh. And let me just pray. God, I pray that as we understand that with our minds and we begin to walk that out in the Spirit, God, I pray that You give us the strength to carry it out, to be a light for You, to make a difference wherever we go. And God, I pray, Lord, that we would become more spiritual, not spiritual in a superficial or fake way, but God, that we would go deep in you, that your word would become life. And God, that the pettiness, the, especially in the context of this, that personalities would become less important It'd be more important what you are doing within a body of believers. And God, we wouldn't prefer one over the next, over the next, but God, that we would just love each other, that we would see your hand at work in our lives. God, I pray that you would safeguard this church, these people from disunity. God, I pray, like I often do, that you go before us, behind us, and all around us. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen, amen. This morning, the altars are open. I want to encourage you to maybe spend some time with the Lord. You don't feel like you have to rush off. Uh, But if you do have to go, go in the grace of God. We love you. We're going to stay and pray. And if you need to be anointed with oil for anything, uh, please come. Um, otherwise, go in the grace of God, uh, refrain from uh, t- talking too much until you get out in the lobby. That's helpful. is a place of prayer this morning. We love you. God bless you as you go.